0: This is your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Good show today coming up. Sarah McClellan covers the Wild for the Star Tribune. Will be with me in just a little bit to break down that team's, you know, recent play, which has been okay, uh, but they've probably gotten away with some things and won some games they maybe didn't deserve to win, and will need to clean up some of what they've been doing if they're going to have success in an upcoming tough stretch. I'll get to some of your questions as well and talk through a little bit of what is coming up later tonight with the Wolves and also the Wild. But first, what did I miss? NFL expanded to 17-game schedule, and this, you know, schedule stories kind of come and go. We don't necessarily have to pay too much attention to them. You know, when the schedule release comes out, we already kind of know, in a lot of cases, who's going to play who. So the schedule stories aren't all that exciting. But this one was different because they added a 17th game to the regular season. And this has been hinted about, talked about for a long time, so not necessarily a surprise. But still, in one facet, I found it a little odd. Um, let me explain that so you know okay well first off i think the formula for deciding how they're going to add this game is fine right you get the the traditional formula in the nfl where there's a lot of competitive balance for how that's decided um ben gessling did a rundown of it in his story on start you play six games against your own division a three home three away four games against an entire division within your own conference you know home and away four Against an entire division in an opposite conference, you know, two home, two away, and then two games against another division in your own conference um, based on what place you finish. So that's 16, and that's worked. And, you know, there's been some additions over the years. They've added playoff teams and whatnot, but 16 games has been the norm for over 40 years. But not just a norm in football is this fact I cannot find an example in any you know, major men's North American sport where a league has gone to an odd number of games as its standard scheduling format. Look at the NBA history. They've been over they've been at eighty two games in their standard season for over fifty years. Before that it was a little bit hit or miss, but still when they've set a standard it was 82 i think a little bit before that they had you know a, a shorter number of games but still that even number nhl same thing you can follow them through the year that's been you know it started really small it was like between 12 and 20 games way back in the day and then it kind of crept up crept up crept up to what they have now which is 82 but it has always been an even number of games same with baseball 154 forever 162 now The only exceptions I can even find are the two strike-shortened years in the NFL, I believe 1987 and 1982, when they played 15 and 9 games, respectively. But again, those are seasons kind of made up on the fly. Last year, NHL-NBA kind of wound up with an odd number of games for some teams with the COVID-shortened season, and not all teams played the same number of games. But larger point being and this is just kind of fascinating to me that no league that I can find has ever purposely set its schedule to have an odd number of games. And that's, you know, probably for competitive balance reasons, right? Cause you know, if you have an extra game, someone's going to have an extra home game. Someone's going to have an extra road game um, versus, you know, and that's a slight imbalance, you know, it's, it's, the gap probably has narrowed a little bit lately, uh, with with home versus away as travel is improved. And in the NFL, with how they're going to get around it, is one year the you know the NFC is going to get an extra home game, and one year the AFC is going to get an extra home game. But you know we'll we'll see how that plays out. But it's just kind of interesting to me. I don't know why this is so interesting to me as I thought about it. But a, a league purposely setting a schedule to be 17 games, an odd number of games. I guess the only Extra thing I would say about this is Kirk Cousins. People talk about the Vikings quarterback as being, you know, this average quarterback. Like, oh, the Vikings can go eight and eight. You know, just you know, Kirk Cousins has never had an eight and eight season in the NFL. I think it's kind of funny because that's you know that's the knock on him that he's he's only good enough to get you to five hundred. He's had strangely enough, he's had two eight seven and one seasons, but he's never had an eight and eight season. And barring something really really strange, Kirk, I guess he never will i'm nyla jean myers senior assistant sports editor at the star tribune thank you for listening to strip sports daily delivery this work is made possible by our star tribune subscribers for unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of minnesota sports from pros to preps go to startribune.com subscribe like to welcome in sarah mcclellan right now she is out in california san jose to be exact Wild has the second of two out there, lost in a shootout on Monday night, kept us all up very late, uh, especially in the central time zone. Sarah, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How about you?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, just, uh, yeah, still re- still recovering from, uh, no, not recovering from the, the lost sleep that they've given us, but no, I I do want to talk about this team, though, because I felt like that game against uh, San Jose on Monday night was a little bit kind of how they've played lately where they got outshot i think like 39 25 in that game and they've been outshot seven games in a row now um and oftentimes by a large margin and they're getting away with it kind of and shots on goal sometimes are overrated because you know point shots are different than you know shots right around the net but how do you feel like this team has trended with its play over those seven games
1: You're right. I I don't think shots on goal are always the best indicator of what's going on the ice. But I I think there is something to it here, especially early. Um, You know, it seems to be in the first periods, these starts where the team is, you know, falling behind in that category and just simply is chasing the puck. I mean, you know, when you don't have the puck, obviously the other team, you know, has that possession. They have that ability to kind of run up the counter. Which, you know, obviously, like you said, if they're not quality shots, if they're not from high danger zones, you know, doesn't always matter. But I think there is something to it. And I think it just, especially in the beginning of games in the first periods, it it does show that the wild does seem to have departed from a style and a structure that has really led to a lot of success this season. If you think back to when the team was you know, playing well, you know, just even after the COVID shutdown and, and into February, um, it was, it was, you know, establishing early leagues, set, setting the time in these games, it really was being fueled by its first periods. And that just hasn't been the case lately. You know, obviously, like you said, they're still finding a way to stay afloat in these games. They have a 2-1 lead, you know, against San Jose after the first period, even though, You know, San Jose obviously had the edge and in in play and in shots. Um, But I think it is an issue that needs to be addressed and looked at because it is not how this team can play. Like we've seen this team, you know, come into games, take authority, um, and it's led to one, two, three goal leads. And obviously then it just seems like the game's over, you know, no matter what's going to happen in the second and the third. um, The Wild just had, you know, that control. And as you get later into the season and these games, you know, historically get tighter and I I think just falling behind like that just sets a bad precedent and it's going to be tougher and tougher to get over that. So it's not so much the whole game picture. I I think it's really a microcosm of what's happening in these starts and these first periods. And that seems to just pave the way. And it's probably something obviously that needs to be fixed if this team is going to get back to that level that it was at before. And I think a a lot was built that it was just fatigue and it was just, you know, the rigors of the schedule and and this mini break, uh, you know, last week having three days off was going to be the solution, but you know, it, it didn't look like that from Monday's game in the sense of like the start wasn't there. Um, They didn't seem to have their legs and then you see that and the shots get out of hand and, sometimes like I said that's not always the best indicator but chasing the puck is is never a good thing for teams that want to you know be in control and set the style as to what they want to play
0: yeah that's interesting because I was that's a good point about the shots and I think they were having a shots edge a lot early in the season because I was just looking at hockey reference earlier uh, earlier uh, in the in the in the day and seeing you know they've, they've outshot their opponents 16 times and they've been outshot 16 times this year so if they had you know seven in a row where they've been outshot they, they certainly were getting more shots on goal earlier in the year and i think they're 12 and 4 when they have an edge in the in the shots and they're 8 6 and 2 when they don't so you're right they're they're finding a way still to you know to bank you know two points one point you know that the extreme game obviously was the the st louis game where they were outshot with like 37 to 11 or something and still you know managed to to, to get away with the win but They've been great when they lead after one period, when they lead after two periods, and they just haven't had a lot of, you know, they did have a game like that against San Jose where the lead actually got away from them. But typically when you're getting outshot, especially early, you're going to be playing from behind a lot and chasing, you know, chasing that score. And you can't get away with that forever, right?
1: No, no. And I think the biggest thing is when you're chasing, you get away from the style and structure that you want to play that enables a team to have success. You have to take more risks. You have to, you know, maybe make sacrifices that you wouldn't usually, you, you know, jumping into other puck battles or, um, you know, making a play or a pass that maybe otherwise you wouldn't. And it can make you vulnerable. And so that's just the thing, I, you know, chasing games, falling behind by a goal or two. It just can exacerbate problems and, and, and get teams away from like the wild from the style that they want to play. And, and that is structured. That is, you know, that is with pace. And that is, you know, a high octane style, um, but obviously smart, you know, making sound decisions. And if they get away from that because they have to make up the score and they're chasing and they're trying to close the gap, it just isn't a sustainable way to win it can obviously help. Sometimes we see deficits erased all the time in sports, especially in hockey, but it just doesn't seem you know, like a way to find a consistent method of success, especially for this team.
0: One reason they've been able to get away with it to a certain degree lately is the play of Cam Talbot. He's, you know, they've, they've done their best to navigate the, we don't have a a goalie controversy and i don't think they do i think it's it's more been more the case of whoever's playing really well between cam talbot and, and kapel kakin and then sometimes it's both of them uh they kind of are riding the hot hand but we, we did see i thought it was interesting when we saw uh talbot get starts in those back-to-back you know the back-to-backs uh a few days ago um you know where they you know they had one game and then another game right after that you thought Usually that's an opportunity to split your goalies, but he's played a bunch in a row now, including those consecutive days. What, what do we, what, uh, what's the confidence level in him and where do you think they are now with their decision-making from, from kind of day to day, uh, with, with what goalie they're going to go with?
1: Yeah, I think that decision to have him play both halves of the back-to-back was really telling. I think it just, validated what he is to this team and he is this team's number one goaltender that he that's what he was signed to be that's what he was brought in to be and he has played up to that billing um so you know you're in a playoff race two games back to back right before a three-day break the first one was an afternoon game too so that probably helped but those are games when teams play their number ones those are the times when you know, you rely on, you know, the most valuable players on this team. And that's, that's, you know, one of them's obviously the goaltender. Um, and and, and, it, and it worked out obviously, you know, with, with the shutout against St. Louis going back to him then again um, to start the road trip in San Jose made complete sense. And I think that's probably the template or pattern that we'll see the rest of the way. Um, if, if someone's performing well, I, I think they're going to stay in the net and, and I don't think it's, it's, indicative of the other goalies' performance. I, I think this is probably an ideal scenario for the Wild to have two, two goaltenders who are playing well and who don't seem to be uh, interrupted by whatever rhythm is going on in the net. You know, um, you know Talbot, whenever he's come back, um, he's played steady and, and same with Capo with Kakinen. So I, I think that's probably the way it's going to be. But, you know, will there maybe be instances where Talbot takes, you know, that extra game? I could see that too, because, like I said, that's what he was brought in here to do. Um, but I don't think that diminishes at all what Kakinen has done, or if the reverse happens and Kakinen gets on a run, I don't think that diminishes the value that Talbot has brought to this team. I think this is actually, you know, a pretty ideal scenario to have two goaltenders you know, who have that confidence, who have the results to back it up, but also have, you know, the confidence of their teammates in front of them. We don't see the wild play differently, you know, or have less success with one goaltender. Um, It's been very even. And I think just having that, it's like a checkmark, having that steadiness in net, is just, you know, something less that the team has to worry about. And I think that's been a real boon for the team this season. I don't think it's gotten actually as much praise or accolades or attention as it would maybe in another season, just because the offense has taken off this season. Um, And that's always big news, you know, for a franchise that is, you know, parentally struggled to score. That's, that's, that's big. Um, But, you know, I don't think anyone can sleep on the goaltending and how important it's been to this team. And it's been both. And I think we'll continue to see both be a factor the
0: rest of the way you mentioned the goal scoring um you know marcus johansson coming back getting some some run here getting kind of back in in his legs being good with with kevin fiala in in addition to that kevin fiala had the tying goal uh monday night when they were able to at least get a point um out of san jose and really could have you know close to winning that that shootout as well had a couple chances in in that shootout too but um Let's, let's talk about this in tandem with Johansson coming back and Felino going out kind of close to the same time where they, it was a little bit seamless. There might be a decision whenever Felino comes back or some roster shakeups at that point. But any timetable on Marcus Felino And on the flip side, what has Johansson brought to the lineup you know, since he's been able to return?
1: He's still progressing, Felino. So I, I think it's still a little ways off. Um, but I think that's obviously an important, you know, player for the wild. And the sooner he gets back in, it's, it's going to be huge for this team. This team just doesn't look the same without Marcus, Felino in the lineup. And, you know, I think we're talking about, you know, the shots and how the teams just kind of look different lately, but they're still finding ways to win, but it just seems a little bit different than how the team was playing in, you know, February coming out of the, the COVID shutdown. And you can kind of trace it back to around the time when Felino got hurt and left the lineup. Um, I think it just he brings an energy level. Um, I think he's a, a glue piece that everyone else just kind of finds their spot and he kind of holds everybody together. There's an accountability level with him on the ice. I think not only for the opponent recognizing, you know, here's a player. Um, you know, who can throw his weight around and, 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 you know, you have to stand up to him at some points, but I think for the wild too, I think he's a player that holds everybody in check and and those leaders are important. Um, So that's something to keep an eye on, you know, these next few weeks, how he continues to trend. Um, But the addition of Marcus Johansson has been very timely um, in that absence, I think, particularly for Fiala, as you mentioned Fiala has had so many different line mates this season and I think they've been kind of searching um, for that fit for that duo um, that we see like with Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello Um, you know I I think it's very important and I think you know teams maybe have that perspective that um, it's important to find duos you know lines can change and and, and, you know, injuries, uh, you know, roster changes, things can happen. But I think if you have a duo, you know, we think of, obviously it's three players on, on the line, but I think the duo is really the foundation of that. And, you know, Fiala really hasn't found that partner, that that running mate. Um, and maybe, maybe it's Johansson. So far, the chemistry looks like it's there. I think they chalk it up to they feel like they play a similar style of game. They both want the puck. They both like moving the puck quickly, giving goes. We see that actually in a lot of their scoring plays, um, quick puck movement, quick decision-making. And if that can hold, they can stay together and keep finding that rhythm and producing. Um, it's great balance for the lineup. It's great depth, obviously, of scoring for the Wild. Um, you know, the attention then isn't all on, you know, the Rask, Zuccarello, caprice offline. There's another line. Obviously, you know, Joh- Johansson and Fiala are playing with Hartman right now, Ryan Hartman. Um, it's just another you know, another line that, you know, draws attention to it. So um, that's been key. And I think to see how that chemistry continues to mature and grow um, will be important for this offense too. like you said, the, it's, it's a line that's delivering clutch goals right now. And that's what this team needs um, to kind of think, get back on track and play more of the wild hockey that we've seen for most of this season. Well,
0: they're going to need that in particular, because after Wednesday's game against San Jose, just looking ahead, at the schedule a little bit and you know 56 games every game is going to be important this year especially with you know how it's structured with everything being in the division but you've got seven in a row against vegas colorado and st louis really kind of the the cream of the crop really of the of the division with the wild this year so that i don't i don't want to say that's a make or break stretch that's too much to say because there's a lot of season after that but kind of a defining seven games i would think in terms of getting their game back to where they want it and you know, putting some points together against these teams if they want to finish, you know, in the, you know, in the top four, certainly, but, you know, even higher up than that.
1: Yeah, this will probably decide, like you say, when you look at the string of opponents, this might decide, you know, if this team does really contend for a top seed or the second spot. Obviously Vegas is at the top of the division um, right now, Colorado's second. So if you're going to close the gap on those teams, the best way is to take points away that they can't get. So it's these head-to-head matches. It's, you know, these games very much have a four-point swing because, you know, the winning team gains two points, and that's two points that the other team, you know, that they're chasing can't get. Um, so, I, I, like, like you said, I, I don't know necessarily that this stretch of games will define whether or not this team goes to the playoffs, but it might really help clear up the picture of where it finishes in the West. Um, you know, right now, I think the top of the division is still within reach. Um, especially when you look at, you know, the games played, the wild is right there with, you know, Vegas and Colorado. Um, but to close that gap, it's going to require probably some head to head battles in terms of, you know, taking points away that those teams can't get. And these games obviously provide that opportunity. Um, you know, having said that, I, you know, you still can't forget what's happening below, you know, the wild in the division with St. Louis and Arizona, um, but clearly this is going to, you know, probably too, aside from, you know, making the picture clear in the, the division, you know, maybe send a message for the playoffs. These are teams that if you're going to make it out of the West, you're going to have to go through the Colorados and the Vegases. And so maybe even just for not morale, but, um, you know, showing what this team is made of and, and, and making a statement about, you know, what type of team the Wild is validating and confirming what's already on well and, and done, you know, been successful for this team. Um, this is that opportunity. So, you know, I think that'll that'll probably be really telling just kind of, you know, the metal and the makeup of where this team is at right now.
0: Sarah McClellan, good stuff. Last thing for you, trade deadline is a couple weeks out. Don't know exactly what's going to be available, what the wild might want to do. Uh, I guess I'd ask you kind of in, in two pieces. One, do you get the sense that that they're looking for anything in particular, if there's any moves out there or the flip side of that, if if you had, you know, Bill Guerin's general manager hat on right now, is there something you in particular after watching this team all season would be saying, I think they need to go get this, or I think they need to try at least to go get that.
1: Yeah. You know, it's going to be fascinating, I think to watch, because I think the wild are in a very unique position in the fact that, you know, they're in the thick of this race. Um, they're in a playoff position And, you know, it is a roster kind of on the brink of a lot of flexibility with one way, you know, contracts coming off the books, one year contracts, um, you know, that obviously expire after this season. So um, you kind of look at the wiggle room that they could have in the offseason. But, you know, is this a roster that has played well so far to be in this position that, you know, as a GM, you want to invest in and reward and maybe give them that boost, um, you know, to make a long playoff run? Having said that, you know, I, I don't know if the wild really goes in and shakes things up. I, I think something can be said for, and, and Bill Guerin has said this, you know, the chemistry and affecting that and changing that and the risk that's involved, you know, in bringing someone in so late to the process and, and how that affects the group, you know, we've seen before. Um, you know, you think back to a few years ago where, you know, this team made that trade deadline acquisition and rental and Martin Hansel, and it didn't lead to a long playoff run. It, it, it didn't, you know, it wasn't the missing piece of the puzzle. So I think there's um, that recognition by management. Um, but, you know, we'll see. It, it's a unique year because the salary cap is flat. There's a quarantine, obviously, if a player gets traded to Canada there's all these other factors that just, you know, could freeze the marketplace. Um, I don't, you know, I, I think though, obviously GMs talk and, you know, they explore and and they do their jobs and see what's out there, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, you know, where the wild is at now is, is the the roster and the lineup that moves forward um, and see, see what happens. And then, you know, maybe reassess in the off season. I I think this is a management team that is very much cognizant of um, staying in shape for the future and not, you know, not hamstringing the product in the meantime, you know, to, um, you know, make sacrifices and not keep it on track to achieve its long-term goals, which I think is obviously being successful year in and year, year out and not being, you know, um, a one hit wonder. So, it's going to be interesting. It's a, it's a different feel, I think around this deadline for everybody and especially the wild being in this position, you know, in a playoff spot, but I think also trying to be mindful of what's ahead and what the future looks like without, you know, sacrificing, um, and making, making moves that maybe, you know, don't help it achieve its long-term focus.
0: That's a good point too. Cause aside from like, a number one center, which everyone's been clamoring for, which is expensive and it's hard to come by and it's not necessarily a deadline move you make. Like I, I wouldn't even look at this roster and say, you got to have this, you got to have that. They're kind of steady throughout. And so it's kind of hard to identify what you would even go get outside of that kind of really big splash move.
1: Yeah. Like that, you know, that, that to your question, you know, what's the position that's totally it. It's center ice. And, but those players aren't necessarily yeah. getting traded at the deadline. And if they are, you know, they're the rentals usually, or there's, there's not a lot of term there. And so it's not necessarily a marriage that you're signing up for. And, um, you know, those players, it's so cliche and, but those players are just so hard to acquire, um, you know, they're drafted, they're developed. I think, you know, the homegrown method is probably the most sustainable, but, um, it's, it's, it's tough, but you're right. That's clearly the position of need you know, with this team and it has been, and it was going into the season. Um, it was very much kind of a by committee patchwork effort and it's worked, um, you know, to the extent that this is a team that, you know, is in a playoff position is contending for a division title. Um, but to have that long-term focus, that's clearly a position that's got to be on the radar, but I don't know if that's necessarily solved at the trade deadline, you know, in the first you know, full, full, I guess, 56 game season post pandemic where the salary cap is flat and there's a quarantine that general managers are wrangling with. It's, it's tough. It's, it's different for sure.
0: Well, When you put it that way, I'm not going to hold my breath, but good stuff. Sarah McClellan, read her stuff. Start Tribune, starttribune.com. Appreciate you joining daily delivery again, and we will be talking again soon. I am sure.
1: Sounds good. Take care.
0: Good stuff from Sarah. Remember Wild versus Sharks, 9.30 p.m. Wednesday night. You can watch that one on the new Bally Sports North. That was the part of the Tuesday podcast. This is the first day of Bally Sports North, so we'll see how that looks compared to Fox Sports North. Hit me with a hot one. Let's get to a few of your hot takes. We haven't done one of these for a while. Um, let's let's jump right in. Um, Reuven, this is topical, uh, right after the uh, Sarah McClellan interview says, the Wild are fortunate they've been playing the Coyotes and Ducks and Sharks and Depleted Blues because what happened to them when they played the Avalanche will happen again when they play the Golden Knights if they don't pick up their game. And that's exactly what Sarah and I talked about during a part of that uh, appearance. You know, Seven games in a row where they've been outshot. I don't love some of what's been going on lately. They've been getting away with it, and sometimes you do have to do that. If you're a good team and you can still win when you're not playing your best, and I don't think they have been playing their best. That's probably a good sign, but Overall, they need to pick up their game if they're going to play better and win. At Hamsky eighty three says Bob Motzko can't win the can't win in the NCAA tourney, And yes, I'm glad he's gone from Go Huskies. Woo! Okay, so that's obviously a reference to how he how he performed in Saint Cloud and how he's done with the Gophers. I don't think that's fair. Um, I think Motzko is a good coach. He was you know part of championship teams here at Minnesota as an assistant. So let, let let's uh let let's cool down on the uh, on the, on that narrative, but certainly uh certainly St. Cloud can uh, can have its moment uh, in the sun this year as they've made the Frozen Four and Bob Motzko did not with the Gophers. Austin says the Vikings would be better if they traded Zimmer. I don't. Fired probably is a better word and made Andre Patterson the head coach. That's an interesting take. Patterson is definitely loved by the players credited for their success by a lot of players. So I think he'd certainly be a, a, a candidate if, if something happened here. But this is Zimmer's team to run right now, and we'll see how far he can take that. Percy says, Bud Grant's macho tough guy tactics like not letting his players wear coats or use heaters on the sidelines cost them four Super Bowls. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a big, bold claim. I don't think we can say that. I think they got outplayed in those games. Maybe there's something about preparation, but... You know, uh, to to say that that was why they lost those four games. Don't know about that, but that is a hot hot take, and I love the uh, I love the effort at the very least on that one. Let's end quick with the cooler Wolves versus Knicks Wednesday night, the battle for Thibs' love part two. Wolves lost in New York about a month ago. Right after that game, Ryan Saunders got fired. I don't think Chris Finch is going to get fired if they lose. Wednesday night's game, but a lot to watch nonetheless. Wolves had a better effort against the Nets last time out in Brooklyn, almost pulled that game out, but you know really have struggled to, to put together a good effort, particularly early on in games. So watch for that tonight. Watch to see if they are going to continue the effort they had against Brooklyn and put together a solid 48 minutes as opposed to what we saw for the large majority of their two games against Houston at home a few days ago. That'll do it for today. Big Twins show on Thursday. Lavelle E. Neal the third will join me. Friday show should be lots of fun as well. Thanks for listening to Daily Delivery. Please go go write a review. Get leave me a rating on the, on your podcast app. Does me a lot of good. And um, but regardless of whether you do that, appreciate you listening. Subscribe to StarTribunion.com and we will catch you again on Thursday.